Losing Myself, a special podcast series celebrating 50 years of great composers at Wise Music. Presented by Jill Graham and Dave Holly. Welcome to Composing Myself. This week, Dave and I are joined by Olivier Award-winning choreographer, Dixon Mbai, who is also making his voice heard as a composer. Welcome, Dixon. How are you doing today? I'm all right, Jill. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. And where, where are you today? Are you in London or...? No, I'm in Scotland, Glasgow. I'm in, uh, in the heart of Scottish Ballet right now, working on a, on a, yeah, on a ballet with them. Oh wow! Cool. Yeah. Is it? What's the weather like? Hey. Cold. I oh, know it's actually quite warm, man. It's been warm all this week, actually, surprisingly. But it's a, uh, you know, I, like I'm from London, bro. You know, yeah. coming up north is not really my bag, um, <laughs> yeah, because you know, the weather is always different here. Um, but it's been really warm, and I'm yeah, and the energy here has been really nice, and yeah, everyone's really cool. So I'm really excited and looking forward to be working with them. The traditional way we start these talks is mm. to ask the question is, do is there a piece of music? Do you remember what was the first piece of music that you heard that made you just went, wow, music? Yeah, no, I do remember. You know what? But I think before I even say that music, I, I, I got to say, I grew up, my granddad was a musician, you know, he was a well-known um musician in his village um so I, i'm from cameroon originally i was born in cameroon actually i grew up in in east london but i was born in cameroon my my dad was a was a tailor and um but i think when, when he was working in london he said to me that you know he stopped being a tailor because uh the machines took over you know the industrial revolution so um but i think around my parents home, we were always, everybody can play the drum, you know, in, in, in our culture, you, you, should, you do everybody, it's just the thing we do, but I was never really, I, I could play the drum, but I was never really interested in music. You know, I just, football was my thing. <laughs> and then I think when I was about six or seven or something, or, or probably 10, I can't remember. I heard this track called seven seconds with, uh, I think it's Nina Cherry. Nina Cherry. Yeah. And Yusufo Endur. I think, I think I, I can't That's remember. Right. Yeah. 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 And Great song. Yeah. That, that song was the song that, that smashed it for me, mate. And I was like, what is this? And then around that time, there was also another track by, um, Deep Forest or the Deep Forest Lullaby. I don't know if you know about it. I don't know. That. Yeah. Yeah. And it had a song by, um, not a song, but it was like a lullaby that was recorded in Solomon Islands by mm. this, um, this old woman, uh, old villager from Sol- Solomon Islands and she sang this lullaby and then they took that lullaby and sampled it for this track, Deep Forest. Um, and that 
that is what actually those two tracks is what actually got me like what is going on yeah. um you know and was it the beat that particularly attracted you no it's not, it's never really the beat it's never really the the sound it's the feeling it's the feeling you feel and i felt something i was thinking what is this i never felt that before and i was hooked yeah when i was a kid i i used to think music that got inside your head was beamed down from another planet you yeah. just couldn't conceive yeah. of how it was made and it was all about the strange feelings it gave me yeah, yeah. Because I think when I was when I was young, like you know, like we played the drums. Now now I see it. I, I can from hindsight and a bit of experience of growing up, you know what it was. But when you're a kid, you don't know what this is. You're just banging things and and you know, and I don't know what what sound am I doing, you know, what what rhythm it is. I'm just playing because this is what everyone does. <laughs> and then um yeah, just the feeling you feel is just so special. Did it, did it make you want to move? I mean, did it? Did you, did your inner choreographer dancer come out immediately? Or definitely was it- not, mate. No, it just it it's just it just made you what what it did. It just made me listen. It just made me still, you know. And that is quite hard for a kid that had a lot of energy and football was the thing. It just made you just just stop and listen and and feel things. And uh, I can't remember if I cried or something, but I, I just remember that I just, every single time a piece of music was on, I just had to just stop and listen. Does it still affect you now, Dixon, when you hear it? Yeah, not not the seven seconds, but the the lullaby. When did you start to dance? I find your journey really fascinating. Um, you know, you started Firehouse, your popping crew, basically. Yeah. And then, what, how, how did you get there? What, what, when did dance become your thing, really? I think, you know what, football was always the thing for me. And then... Um, can, can I just ask you, what football team do you support? Arsenal, bro. <laughs> oh, oh, God, I thought it would be as well. Let's not talk I'm so it. sorry about that. I know, I know. <laughs> it's the thing. But before Arsenal, you know, I, I used to... Because I'm from, I'm from East London and originally from East London and... Um, before before we moved to North London, I used to play football at a very young age. Um, uh, you know, we used to play. I used to play with some guys for uh, a team called West Ham under under sixteens, and it wasn't really like a major thing. It was one of those small things that you play now and then. And um, and I wasn't good enough to be fair, and and they didn't really have a looking into me and stuff like that. A lot of my friends got in and, and did really well and but yeah I didn't make it and my dad was like well bro you can't make it into football you gotta get you gotta get a proper job bro um <laughs> and uh yeah you're burning my electricity while we all go to work you're just at home you just you know at 16 or, or 17 those sort of things like oh what am I gonna do with my life and then I, I started working I think I did this this course that I think in the year 2000 that was the year where IT was becoming a thing. It was like a big thing at the time. Computers were like, wow. You know, Microsoft was running the game. Um, and then I did a course to become an IT technician. And I did that for two years. Um, and then I think around 2005, I met this girl and she was a dancer. And I really liked her. I was like, wow. 
Uh, literally, I started dancing because of girls, really. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, she took me to Pineapple, Pineapple Dance Studios. And then and I went in. I was always confident, you know. I, I've always been confident in my life. Um, I'm not scared of anything, I guess. But did you dance before that? I mean, did you, you know, discos nah. or parties or... Nah, man. I mean, you you would just like anyone, you know. You you dance, of course. You, it's mm. you go to a party, you do a few two step, and you think you are the thing. Yeah, but, I do. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. And but when we talk about professional dancing, it's a whole different bag. You know what I mean. And uh, and so we, uh, yeah, I, I went to Pineapple Dance Studios, and and then I went into the class, and you had to learn a, a routine. I was thinking, what is this? And I, I couldn't do it. And I didn't want to look stupid in front of everybody. So I said, look, mate, I'm going to go toilet. <laughs> and I never came back. <laughs> and then, because uh, I didn't want to look stupid in front of the girl that brought me there, you know what I mean? And uh, but, then, but anyway, when I went out, I saw a group of guys outside of Pineapple Studios doing popping. Now that was the thing that I was like, this is amazing. These guys was just outside Pineapple Dance Studios expressing themselves um, to funk music, you know, and I knew about funk music, but I never knew how to listen to it the way they were dancing to it. You know, it made you listen to so many different instruments in the music, you know, and, and that's one of the best thing about musicality in, in a, in a dancer. If the dancer can make you hear different things in the music that you would not possibly hear because you're just hearing, you know, when music comes to you, it's been mixed in a way that it just comes like a big wave of things and it makes you feel a certain way. But if you've got someone that can articulate certain instruments with their body and you're like, oh, I never heard that before. And I felt like that when I saw these guys doing popping outside and I thought, wow, this is what I want to do. I stopped thinking about a girl and just started thinking about popping. And I went to Pineapple Dance Studios every Saturday just to go and practice outside of the studios with these guys. Mm. And they were cool. And I later on joined them. They were called um, IP, immigration poppers, because everybody was from a different place. There was no one that was, there was only one person that was quintessentially British and her name was Becky. Everybody else, Alex was from the Caribbean. Um, I think he was from um, St. Lucia or something like that. Um, me, uh, originally from Cameroon. Carlos that passed away, he was from Angola. James was from South Africa, white South African, Alan, China, um, Anthony, China, um, who else? Ah. Lucas from Poland. There were, there were just so many oh, yeah, different yeah. people. Adrian, Filipino, you know, everybody was from, like, we just, we just created this community where we just, a group of people that just had a passion about dance, just meet up, listen to funk music <laughs> and just dance. And did, did you, did, was it for a performance ultimately or was it just for the fun of doing it and the learning? Just for the fun of doing it and just for the learning. And it was strange because a lot of people saw us doing it and they wanted to give us money. You know, they think you're busking. We're like, nah, bro, this is just, we're just doing this. Yeah. We're like, really? I was like, yeah. It was a bit offensive when people started to give, trying to give you money. We're like, no, no, no. We're like, are you guys not busking? No. We just had a boom box, just go around. And that's how I learned because I never really went to central London, man. I'm from East. You just stay in East London. Dagnum, you just stay there. You don't really, you don't really go out. And, and that's how I learned, like, places like Trafalgar Square, Covent Garden, all those places, all the little nuggets of, 
that area just by traveling with a boombox with these guys. We find a quiet place and we would just practice dance. And how, how, how did you go from there to, 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 you know, working professionally? Well, I met another girl and she was a contemporary dancer and she said, look, mate, I'm doing this contemporary dance thing. I was like, contemporary dance, that's not real dancing. You know, like, <laughs> you know, I didn't know anything about dance. You know, I just wanted to just express myself. And I felt like I could be alive when I was popping. And then I met, I met her teacher. Her teacher's name was a guy called Stuart Thomas. And he was like, you're going to keep doing this for a couple of more years. And then you, you're going to get injured, mate. If you don't really take it seriously, it seems like you might have some talent. But if you don't stretch, I was like, stretching? What is that? <laughs> you know, and then and he was like, well, you know, if you don't take care of your body, it's going to let you down at some point. You're getting older. And I was like 20, 22. Because when I started, I was 2005, I was 18. That's really literally when I started. And, and I've been doing it for like three years. And I was thinking, okay, I, I know what I'm doing now. And then I met Stuart 2000, when I was 22 years old, 2008, I think it was, three years later. And then Stuart was like, mate. And I was like, all right, you know what, mate? I'll come to your classes just to see. And I'm, my God, I was so bad. Um, and it, things that looked easy were so hard to do. Couldn't touch my toes. And I was like, you, you don't have to touch your toes to dance. But like just stretching your hamstrings was a big thing because um, it gives you more range of movement. I, I didn't know none of this stuff. And it's true. It was like, you need to go to a dance school. I was like, brother, listen, I'm African, bro. Going to a school for dance doesn't make sense. It's not what we, you go to a school to become a doctor, a lawyer or anything else, but to go to a school to be a dancer doesn't make sense to me, bro. And imagine me telling my parents that, you know, so Stuart was like, all right, mate. But he filled that he, this guy played a pivotal role in my journey, man. He, he filled out an application form for me without telling me and sent it to a college. And then, uh, and then he just said, look, mate, I'm, I've just, uh, a friend of mine is teaching a class. Just go to that class and, and, um, and just tell me how it goes. And then I went and because in the circuit already, because of popping, I won a few competitions and people knew who I was. So I went to this class and there was a lot of people putting numbers on. And I was thinking, what is, why are people putting numbers on to do class? Turned out to be an audition. And because people, people in that class knew me, I just couldn't walk out because my ego was so big. I was like, nah, this guy's going to think I, I chickened out and I, I just can't do this right now, you know? So I ended up doing the audition as the first time I did ballet and, and um, yeah, and, and I, I just copied this girl in front of me. Um, but yeah, that, and yeah, after the audition, the, the, the school offered me a place, a full-time place. I was like, well, how am I going to do this with working as an IT technician at the same time? So I had to quit my job. That's how, that's how my journey started, man. Yeah. Lewisham College. And then from there, I went to another school called London Contemporary Dance School while I was still doing popping and, and, and popping, I would be teaching and, and, um, judging different competitions to sort of keep myself going and pay rent and stuff like that. And then, uh, yeah, that, that's how. 
getting started. Yeah, and how how what, during that time, you know, how did you choose the music to dance to? Was it was it? <clears throat> well, at that time, funk music played a big part. You know, because popping, if if you know popping, the style of popping, you know, we're talking about late seventies, early eighties. You know, we're talking about Earth, Wind, and Fire, um, Cameo, Roger Trotman. Um, and there was a guy in 1986, a good friend of mine called Jeffrey Daniels. Oh from, yeah, from Shalomar. Shalomar. Yeah, he, he gave me my first job as a dancer. Really. Oh, he was he was amazing. Saw, he was the first person I ever saw moonwalk on on top of the, the box, box before Michael Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, but that was how he did that. I think it was 84. He did that or something. Yeah. Or 86. Yeah. But Jeffrey well, Daniels. I love Shalomar. Yeah. Yeah, that's my night to remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's, yeah. That's, that's a big, big, big mentor of mine. And he, um, yeah, so the, those music were the music that we really listened to. And 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 because they had an, an epic snare, and, you know, and to be able to pop on a snare, like, really good. It's, it's a specific. So when you listen to music, for example, with, with popping especially, when you listen to music, and, of course, the timing, um, being on beat is really important, the rhythm, the groove. But the way you listen to the snare, it's almost like you have to slow down one snare so much that it's not like just a sharp hit. It has to be like a big block. So when you pop, you need to make everyone feel that. It's like, it's almost like you enter the frequency of the sound. This is some deep stuff anyway. Uh, um, yeah. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting it. Yeah. So those, those times choosing music to dance to, had a, you had to have a connection within the genre and 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 how it made you feel you know so yeah and then when i got into contemporary dance that's when i started listening to bark you know mm. uh, all these different classical music and i always heard beethoven and stuff you know when you hear things like dun, 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 dun. you know i don't even know what those names are but you go to different shops you hear those things i was thinking mm, this is cool well, I never really had a connection to it until when I started contemporary dance and ballet and stuff. And then you have a pianist play for you live. You're like, oh, what is that? That sounds cool. And you start connecting into the music, then you do a bit more research into it and you learn about all these different sounds. Uh, but before that, it was literally African music that I heard at home from my parents, um, funk music that comes from popping and, and, and stuff like that. And, and then... With contemporary dance, the classical music, but literally in East London, because of all these three different genres that are floating in my mind, in East London, I was lucky enough to come in a time where some musical grime music was really kicking off around 2000 and the year 2000, 2002, three, four, five. That time was like really serious. And I was with that energy of people around that time. Um, especially if you're from East London, that's, that's, that's like heaven. You know, you go to parties and you go to clubs and that's the music. You get someone MC on a mic doing things to some dubs, you know, um, that feeling was the thing. And then you had things like drum and bass at the same time that was were pushing the, those energies. And then, you know, so it's like four different, genres of music floating in your heart in your vibe around that time so yeah how, how old were you about that time when grime was was ha happening 
Talking I was 19, 20. I, I think the best music in the world is, is the years 17, 18, 19, 20. No matter who you are, that yeah. was the best music because it's when you're young and receptive to it. And yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I think like a lot of a lot of the things I do now, if I'm really honest and really analytical, I think a lot of it has those grind feeling. It's not that the sound has that, but the percussive energy. It has an African and grime sort of feeling, even though some of the melodic writings can be a bit classical or a bit contemporary, but it has those feelings, yeah. When you were at um, London Contemporary Dance, Dixon, and I presume then you started to make work on other people yeah. as opposed to dance it yourself, mm. um, what was the first piece of classical music you used? Can you remember? Ah, uh, yeah, I do remember. I'm just thinking, oh, man. Yeah, I think I think it was probably Bob Prelude One. Okay, cool. Da, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, taking that transition from being a dancer yourself, then making work on other people, using other people's music. When did you start to get into? creating your own music or informing the musical language that you wanted to feel? You know, what's interesting about this is that, you know, when you start choreographing, for example, you work on the choreography, you know, you work on the, on the concept, you work on the ideas, you work on the journey, the crafting and all that stuff. And you have all these different things that you think would support the movement. And then music sometimes always plays the last part that you got to find. It's almost like you go on a shelf and you sort of pick things that will fit to the yeah. to what you would make. But you never really had something that would really fit 100%. You had something that would sort of help get you to where you want to get to. And that was always my process. And some people work differently. Some people have taking music from the shelf and just make to that music. And for me, my process was, okay, I've got to really make the dance and then put the music on top to support the dance. Right. And sometimes I would pick some music and then I would find another music. Then I would edit it myself to then make it fit in a way that it works for the music. And then I think it's only until when I met Farouk, I think I started working with Farouk in two. Farouk is a, is a producer a dance producer um i met him in 2000 and i think i met him before but we re we got connected again in 2016 17 and then he said look mate that music that you've chosen for your dance belongs to someone else it's not really it's not really good for you to use that music i was but he, it, it works it works he goes yeah you really need to have something that you worked on for this specific work. And we mm -hmm. was talking about a piece that I, I was working for a year called Duende. Um, mm -hmm. It's one of my solo pieces. That's one of my most successful solo pieces that I've been touring. And he was like, no, nah, you need to find something. And then I found a piece of music by this composer um, from Spain. Um, and then we, we worked on the music and we sort of, the music was five minutes and we had to make a brand new score of it to, to fit 20 minutes. 
And so that means that we had to develop certain things, change certain things. And I think from that 2016, 2017 time, that's when I really had a big dive into, okay, this is what I do anyway. But I never had the, the spirit to look at it like this, you know, and, and I would send recording, all your recordings, you know, voice notes to the composer. Oh, no, you know, what about we bring this counterpoint here or what about we bring this percussional percussion feeling here to support this? So I was working like that. Mm. I, I would never say I was making it by myself or I, I you know, um, so that's literally how we started around that time. But before that, I was doing it, but I, I just didn't know I could do it like this. So can, can I just ask you practicalities about how you make your music? Do you, do you use things like Pro Tools? Are you recording yourself? Or do you work with musicians and they press the buttons? How, how does it work? Yeah. Well, so before I never used, I mean, I knew Logic. I used Logic. You know, Logic is just logical for me. You know, um, a lot of people use, uh, a lot of my friends use um, Ableton. I just feel like Ableton is just so confusing for my brain, bro. Um, and Pro Tools, I have no idea what that looks like. Um, logic is the thing that I do and I use um, a MIDI keyboard I, I use to play things and like I said I never playing the drums is what I do you know um, playing piano I've, I've never learned how to play the piano I just I teach myself how to play things uh, you know um, I did a few courses and then I did a um, music production course just to learn how to do logic, use logic, certain keys and stuff like that, and how to do use do synths and stuff like that. And so I use um a lot of plugins and to give me an idea of of how um things sound. And then I just use the keyboard and I just use keyboard and most of all though I, I if I, I get a melody or a sound I record it voice note and then I try to play it on the keyboard myself. Can I can I ask you? You're talking about Cameroon um, earlier, mm. and um, I, I was watching a video earlier of you talking about going back to visit the village. Was it the village your your, your father came from? Yeah, my parents. Um, yeah, so you were born there, were you? And then came over here. No, and then I, was I wasn't that the first born time in, back. Or? Yeah, I wasn't yeah. born in the village, bro. I'm a, I'm a city boy. Ah. Um, but yeah, I've never been to the village ever. Yeah. So it was the first time I went to to the village. I think this was 2000, yeah, 2016. I went to the village where my parents were from and, and, and I experienced a lot of things there, which is, is quite epic. And, you know, the first off, just getting to the village, eight hour drive, no electricity, no signal. Um, yeah, those sort of things is, is epic. You know, I'm from London, bro. Like, did you, uh, did you have relatives there? I mean, did you? With the was the family? Yeah. Well, basically, what happened was an, an elderly person passed away uh, that my mom knows, and my mom was in the country. Mom was saying to me, "Well, Dixon," and I only went to Cameroon because 
I was, they asked me to judge a popping competition, really. Um, that's why I went there. Um, and then, and I, I, and I went with my mom, but then, cause this person passed away. She said, we need to go to the village. And I said, well, I'll come, you know, and cause it'd be rude not to go. And everyone finds out I'm here in the country. And, and so we went and then that was a whole different world for me, mate. I'll tell you that now just the, the practices, the, the shamanistic practices, the, the, the connection to nature and the way people live. Um, just, yeah, those things played a big, and I, and I really understood who I am as a person just from that experience and why I am the way I am. Why am I different to, to other people um, that, are, that are not from that world? Um, it gave me a sort of strong sense of belonging or, or knowing who you are as a person that journey in particular at that time, it's just a time in my life. I felt like I was open to those energies. When you came back, Dixon, having sort of, in a sense, found yourself almost, did you, did that affect the work you created? You know, did Duende and Enawate have a, a bearing on that experience? Yeah, it, it has changed the whole process for me. It has wow. changed it has changed the way I make music, the way I make dance, the way I I see myself in the world, and the way I articulate myself in a way where um, things are coming from an honest place always. And and not saying that I wasn't earnest, honest before, but sometimes you know when you you have a conversation with people, um, it's not that you want to be smart, but you you always. If I don't know something, I'll tell you, love, I have no clue what's going on here. Um, but from that experience, I just I just felt like I had a better grounding of who I am. So it means, like I always say these, you know, when I speak, I speak with a whole village behind me. And I suppose from the sort of shamanic experiences in Cameroon as well, you know, that, you know, we talked a lot about primordial feeling. Mm we first met you know all, all of that feeding in and i think watching your solo piece in wati which you won the olivier for congratulations hurrah thanks um, a lot thank you thank you thank you really great you know outstanding achievement in dance for this solo piece which is so moving um and the music for that really grounds it it's a whole you know it's like a 360 experience the whole thing the culture the movement, the choreography, the music. So, and you contributed a lot to that music. What was that like? Yeah, so that music was, it was written with myself and a, and a composer called Roger Gula. And, yeah. and that, that music, called, the journey, because when I was in Cameroon, I, I didn't even realise that. I, I just, just recorded a lot of things. I just, mm-hmm. on my voice note, I just, and... I just just kept recording a lot of things, recorded some videos, and then and I experienced a ritual where you know, this one is a bit epic. I'll tell you guys, uh, I experienced a ritual where you know when this elder person passed away, they do a ritual where an animal comes and and the animal roars. Whoa! Yeah, this is this is quite epic, and I never experienced this before. So. 
I just just thinking about it, it just makes me feel a bit epic. What what like, animal? What type of animal? Brother, a tiger. A tiger, yeah. And 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 one of the things is you, you can't look at it in the eye because you look at it in the eye, you challenge it. So this is normal for people, but it was not normal for me, mate. And and I tell you that now, I'm from London, bruv. I, I you know, you go to a zoo to see those things, and it's walking around, and then and if you, I don't know if you've ever heard a tiger roar. Uh, only in films yeah yeah i know and i saw it before in a film when the tiger roared and oh, and 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 the deers and all of them they, they will stop for like two seconds before going and i was thinking hang on a minute why are they stopping but actually the vibration of that sound does something to your stomach yeah. that sort of hold you hold you back um so that that experience happened and i said to my mom why, 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 why that? That's happening. Mom said, "Well, that sound is to wake up all the the, the ancestors to accept this person that passed away into the next life." Wow, that was an epic, epic feeling for me. Just to imagine, bro. I've never experienced any of these before. Yeah. I've just gone on a long journey on an eight hours journey on, on, on a car, on these bumpy roads, no phone signal. So if anything happens to you, bro, you're going to have to wait for someone to find you. No electricity um, to people using lanterns and stuff like that. And, and it, it, let's, let's not even talk about going to toilet there. You know, it's, it's a whole different thing, you know, you <laughs> go to a bush. Um, so I'm a city guy coming into an environment like that and then being hit by this. Bro, that was epic. And then later on, coming back to, to, to England and the way they, they, they sang and celebrate the person that passed away. It's not like a funeral where everybody's crying. They do that morning, but then it's like a big party, like a, like a week party. Um, everyone's singing. I'm thinking this is a different sort of thing for me. Um, but but yeah, it's just man, it's so hard to explain all this stuff without having much more time to go deep mm. into it. But Can yeah, I ask a stupid question? Um, what 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 language were they using? So they speak a language called Kenyang, is because I'm from a tribe called the Bayangi tribe. They are a sub tribe of the Bantu tribe. Yeah. Um, and this is this is this is a thing that was documented a long time ago. That it's originally twelve tribes in Africa. In the whole of Africa, originally twelve tribes. Twelve tribes. There's a there's a twelve. evocative phrase. Yeah, yeah. I know. 12 and then within, within those tribes, there are sub tribes. Yeah, like I know in Cameroon, there like I think there's about two hundred different sub tribes of the Bantus, um, and that's all across Africa. There's different tribes, and and where we are in the southwest province, we're connected to the to the pygmies. The pygmies are the small people. Yeah. Um, they're short and not short. They're just small people. They they're not they're not. Um, uh, I know I don't know I don't know how to explain. They're just people. They they are just small people. They are the people. If you have any problems, like if you're sick and the doctor can't sort you out, you you need medicinal herbs and stuff. You go to the pygmies. That that tribe helps, and they have. And I remember some music that they made a long time ago, which was recorded around that time of that um, lullaby. Mm. Very known for music and stuff. Cool. So yeah, that's that's the music. That's the language they speak, Kenyan language. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, 
incredible sort of crucible of experience that is now pouring into your work. And uh, I think, um, so you're now going to be working, uh, well, you are, we are all working on your your first ever commission for music as a composer and dance as a choreographer for Scottish Ballet. How did that come about? Yeah, it's, it's my first ever commission for music, but not my first commission for dance. Sure. So it came about because I felt like, you know, I, I had this commission by Scottish Ballet to make this ballet. Um, and I, I thought, man, this is great, you know, to have this opportunity. And I'm, I really want to do a great job. Um, I was thinking, okay, but what about the music? And I felt like with the subject matter of what I wanted to do, I wanted to talk about the the matriarchs of of my family and 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 the world. For example, you think about it. You know, when when a matriarch falls, everything falls apart. Mm-hmm. I know that in my family because when my grandma died, you know, my mom's brothers, the energy sort of changed. You know, uh, and and I know that. Matri- you can even look at here in this country when the queen sort of passed passed away you know a lot of things have changed in the royal family you know um i'm not saying that you know that's a bad thing or a good thing i just know that it's a bit more division so when the queen was alive there is it's, it's just the way that those strong women are and i think with this piece and i felt like we i needed to do something that was connected to to a universal theme um, but as well as keep it grounded to to the personal feeling of of what I I, I am and what I what I come from, and so even though some of the things the world we're creating is quite fictional, but that theme needs to come across. Um, so musically, I, I felt like okay, it's something I want to tackle, and I was a bit scared about doing it. And I think after the conversation I had with you, Jill, and, and the director, Chris Hampson, here in Scottish Ballet, and he said, look, mate, I trust you, man. And I've heard things that you've done, the things you've done for NYT, the things that you did for um, for Northern Ballet uh, with, with, with that Baroque music. Um, and also some of the things that you played to me already, I, I, you know, if you really want to do this, I'm, I would do my best to support you to make it happen. So... And then when I, I started doing it and I thought, okay, this is cool. And then we we have a, a, a producer slash engineer called um, Jonas Pearson that is supporting me on this. And and yeah, and I think when I shared a lot of things for him, to him, he was really excited. So that gave me confidence and I shared a few things with you guys. Um, you guys got a bit excited. So that gave me a bit more confidence as well about, about what we were doing. So yeah, that that's that's been it, man. And um, and it also because he's, I've been doing music. I would say, in the way of recording voice notes for about six, seven years. But this is the mm. first time I'm doing it on my own. Yeah, you know, I've always done it with other people, like a co co a co composed or, or you know. But this is the first time I'm doing it on my own. It's a bit daunting, but I have confidence because of the 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 village I bring with, you know, I come with and I, I know different different people support me with it. I love that idea you've got of your ancestors and the village walking in walking behind you. 
I think it's a really positive image. Oh, thank you. Very, I, I, very attractive. I'm, I'm, I'm going to use that myself, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> no, because a lot of people think, sometimes they think, oh, I've done this, I've done this, mate. I, you know, no, mate. No. You, you know, it takes, like where we're from, it takes a village to to raise a, yeah. a family or raise a, a child. And and I know that, and I, I just, just listen, if you, if you listen to my story, for example, I met a girl that got me into dance. I can't forget that person. And then I met this group outside Panapal. Can't forget them. That's like, that's, a, that's like more people. Then I met Stuart. That's another person. Then I met another girl. That's another person. Then I went to London Contemporary Dance School. That's a whole institution. Then from, and I met Russell Malifan, which was my, the first choreographer that, that gave me. And then he introduced me to a different world. That's a whole different world. Mm. Then I, ha- I have an agent for my choreography called um, Tobias Round. That's another person. Then I'm in the Bali thing. That's a whole different gang. Then I met Jill, and I've met you, Dave. Then I've met I've met mm. Jonas. That's like think about that. That's like a huge amount of people. Let's not even talk about my. The, the musical influence from my family. As I was saying, you've got your mum and your dad, you've got my their mum and their dad. dads and their mums and their dads. All, exactly. All through you, yeah. All Huge that influence. Exactly, all those influences. I can't just say I'm here, I've just done this, all this work by myself. All these people have guided me to, to sort of produce something that I can be proud of or make them proud of or people can connect to. But it comes from somewhere. You know, it comes from not just me, you know, and and I think it's always important as an artist to acknowledge that, man, that's a lot of people have paved the way for me to be where I am. And do, do you know the phrase standing on the shoulders of giants? Yeah, I do. And that's what we all do. Every, you know, there's so many people that have yeah. laid the path before you. Yeah. And I still lay in paths and I still there, yeah. you know, and, you know, like this conversation can you know spark something else in someone's mind you know just you you never know um and this is one of the things i feel like yeah that's man i come with a whole baggage mate you know uh (laughs) and just please be be open to accept my my family that i come with uh because i'm i'm going into a hole where i don't know where that would lead lead us and lead my my whole group but i know they are supporting me through it, you know. I'm not alone. What, what, what plans have you got for the future? I know you, you're you're doing this um, this twice born thing, but do, do you have ambitions to to take your music into other areas? Yeah, man, I have a lot of ambitions, and I think I never I never used to have these ambitions before. I think I know for for music in a sense. Yeah, I would like to to transform this music into an orchestral school and oh yeah have it have it played at a uh, place like the you know the king's place or 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 bbc's proms um yeah i just i, I want to tour um music but I, you know what really i want dave is to make people feel like when they come and listen to my music or or watch my shows or feel like they are going on an experience, it's it's 
it just happens to be a performance. You know, they feel like they've gone on a journey through the music or through the dance. And I, I want to be an artist that bring those two worlds together in a way that people can experience something and as well as enjoy the music, of course, and enjoy the dance, but they can experience, go on an experience and it just happens to be a performance. So that is my ambition and where we can take the music. Yeah, I'm still having conversations and see where that could go. But yeah, that that is my goal for this year and 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 for the future. And I'm and again, again, I'm still learning, and I'm open to to do more collaborations with different people and learn from different people. Um, you know, I, I would say I'm a baby in in this. Um, people, I, I just want to learn and grow from it. But I, my ambition is to is to be in in those spaces where I can express myself and go on that that journey and and share my village with people you know what I mean This episode of Composing Myself has been brought to you by Wise Music Group. Thanks for listening.